namo tassa bhagavato rahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato rahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato rahato samma sambuddhassa uddang dhammang sanggang namasami Today is the Uposa today. It's the day of Uposa that means to draw close, to draw up close to. And it's, uh, it's a time of very much uh, community, gathering together, but also uh, on another level, gathering together to, towards truth, towards purity, towards awakening, towards a shared intention. So today... You know, I've spent much of my time, I have a little kuti out there, operating kind of on my own, as it were, and then evenings, afternoons, etc. Um, but then today, being the, the opposite day, then it's the day when the, all the monks, you know, the Garakas, we meet together to have the Patimoka recitation, recitation of the training rooms, and and the Anakarakas take the eight precepts we just do that every two weeks so every, so wherever you are you always do that so you've got this kind of it doesn't matter which place you're in which country you're in which group you're in you do that so you, in a way you you kind of transpose a sense of community from just the particular people here to in a way like a psychic community community of uh, practitioners so you keep transferring to that every two weeks and and to the standards laid down by the Buddha um, this century BC. Even though many of these rules are no longer particularly relevant, we gather together in a way it's a kind of solemnizing our intent to practice, to be scrupulous, to be conscientious, and to a uh, sense of, yeah, this is how this is where we all get together, this is what we all stand for, you know, whatever our differences, our moods, our temperance, we all stand for this. We all stand for this sense of doing the best we can to follow this. And uh, so there's a kind of trans transposing or translation of the here and now personal community into the kind of ongoing, global, timeless community. You know, that's a very valuable shift. Um, you know. And so the for lay people and using the eight precepts in the same way is considered to be a great blessing. One of the standards that committed practitioners will do is they'll both the days take the precepts, five precepts, eight precepts, ten precepts, whatever it is, and redetermine. And well, yeah, yeah, well, we did that yesterday. Well, I know what it's all about. No, it's not about um, just, uh, you know, a to-do list. <laughs> Or, or to not do list. <laughs> it's about uh, a kind of ritualizing your experience. And, and ritual has its benefits as well as its drawbacks. Its benefits are that it, it takes you to a place which is timeless. Yeah. And it takes you to a place which is kind of transpersonal. It includes the person, everybody's individuality. But it's transpersonal. It means oh, I'm also with my personality as it is. And, and uh, I can accept the personalities of the others and the personal karma and there's some bigger sense of what I belong to than just my personal realm, its personal inclinations and 
fears and phobias and passions and doubts, you know, I belong to this. I'm not just in this particular personal field of psychology, I'm also in a transpersonal field of, of profound intention and profound fellowship, fellowship of intentionality. So every time you do that and you begin to make use of that, then anyone who does that also begins to join in and be part of that field. So this is the way you join a Sangha without having to go through the whole <laughs> format, you know. <laughs> you join the Aryan Sangha this way. <laughs> and that's the one you really want to be part of, whatever else life offers you. The Sangha of Awakening and the Sangha of Nobility. And it includes all our ignoble aspects. <laughs> Our uh, flawed and and, and uh, difficult and unresolved aspects. Because every two weeks, one thing we do every two weeks, we make known to the others this is where my errors have been. Um, yeah. So anyway, you're putting your personhood is there, and then the sense that that's just received. Okay, it's acknowledged and it's clear. Very helpful because without this, you know, what do you do with your apparent mistakes and errors and confusions? You probably store them up and feel bad about them. Feel guilty about them. They stick with you. Mm. Uh, or you worry about them. Mm. Or you try to understand them. Why, why, why am I like this? Or, or you don't even really notice them. Because some of the errors we make are things such as self-judgment, which you can do so incessantly, you don't even realise you're creating yourself in it. Yeah. You're creating a self to judge. <laughs> and that's extremely bad karma. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, once you're in that, who gets you out of it? Who can get you out of that? You can't get out of it because you're the, you know, you're the judge who put you in there. That judge only knows one verdict, guilty. <laughs> Doesn't know the verdict. Well, everybody makes mistakes, and never mind, you know, here we go. <laughs> so this is what uh, Sangha's about. Is about, even when we do make mistakes, it's a sense of, that's heard, and, well, yeah. Yeah, sounds like that was Greek got hold you there, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's like that, yeah. End of that. <laughs> all right, sounds like you got a bit obsessive there, or no comment at all, just mm -hmm. You know, this isn't nothing really shocks me anymore. <laughs> you heard it. You probably thought it yourself. And you said, Well, this is what it's like, isn't it? There's the domain of good intention and is the domain of ignorance and delusion uh, which we, we inherit both of those we come here with our barami, our virtues and skills and aspirations we'll come here with our confusions and ignorance and unresolved things and the two have to be held together and uh, so the value of determining the 
and ritualizing and solemnizing and offering the good intention to each other is it gives us a place where the unresolved can be seen with a mind of non-self like this rather than the identification the frantic picking at oneself the you know berating oneself the feeling one has to get it perfect all these kinds of things it's like that then just let it go come out of it come back to this so you get used to that journey the acknowledgement and the release and the recognition of there is a field of release a psychological field of release who you are is held with openness and uh, that's it this is this um, field of intention or intent or I guess all words are loaded so by mean intention is a general kind of what's your what's your motivating inclination yeah and so we say on retreat clearly everybody is intending precepts climbing that way uh, one thing we intend without really even making much of we stay here we stay with it we stay with each other yeah and we try to avoid closing down like just burrowing to one little space and ignoring everything shutting down just try to stay open to each other and to being here stay with it that itself is has its power because the the beauty of this is with this just this kind of simple intentionality just to stay present stay present on a human level don't spin off a lot of things will just start to discharge and deconstruct stay present in this human field of acknowledgement of our of the difficulties of human beings the stress the suffering the nasty pieces the confused pieces the hurt pieces acknowledgement and then also the deep wish for peace for harmony purity yeah to not abuse or hurt others that deep wish stay with both of those put them together what happens if you don't add more I've got I shouldn't be this way I'm trying to change it's got to stop me if I can fix myself into being something other than this I no you stop doing that and just stay present bearing in mind staying standing in this field of pure intent of good intent allowing the difficult pieces to unfold stay present stay present it begins to discharge what is it by staying present well what is present 
So, in this um, training and the realism of it, it's, an, it's not an idealistic training, it's a realistic training. We use, use our body as our guide to presence. Mind, as we know, is so elusive you can barely pin it down. It's, it's mercurial. As you grab it, it shifts and changes because the mind cannot really address itself. It can only, it's like the water cannot shift the water. It's constantly, you know. So the body acts as a kind of a place where instead of the proliferation, the creation of thoughts, opinions, perceptions, views, attitudes, there's just a sense of something physical, um, felt, um, sort of steadied, grounded, natural, it breathes in and out, it's got natural energy to it, it doesn't have an opinion about anything, it doesn't have any doubt about things, doesn't create anybody out of it. it, it can feel hurt, it can feel painful, it can feel fearful, it can feel shock, it can feel love, it can feel passion, it can feel relaxed, it can feel open, it can feel kinds of things, but it can't proliferate, it can't create a self out of it, a person out of it. That's the mind does that. So if you're staying present, we say stay in the bodily sense, and this is where intent becomes much more than just the thought in your head, which is the way that people normally understand intent. Oh, I intend to go to town tomorrow. No, you, you know, it's not what we mean. Intent, in this sense, is a particular, has a felt energy to it. Such as, you know, when you experience a sense of movement, inclination towards uh, harming, your body feels activated in that way. You feel certain tensing up. When you feel the inclination towards defending yourself, your body does that. These are, when you feel the intention, the inclination towards uh, looking after someone or cherishing someone or helping in your body, it changes. Your bodily sense changes, it shifts, energies move and shift. That's what we mean by intent in this way. It has a bodily effect. The ground, this means that true intent, not just meandering thought, but deeply, deep intent has a bodily effect. So this is why, of course, we use things like sitting, standing, walking, reclining. When you sit, you sit to sit. You don't sit to figure out, fix problems, sort things out. You just sit to sit. <laughs> and you walk to walk. You don't walk to be good at walking. You don't walk to uh, uh, realize something. You don't walk in order to discover truth. You walk to walk. Yeah, and you're just using your body and sense of that and it begins to, by that, check the mental proliferations and the, uh, that obstruct presence. But keep you away from being clear and here. They keep you away from something that's unoccluded.
So in a way it's even dangerous to talk about truth because once you talk about truth people imagine it's an idea, a thought in the head. Satya means something that means something like present, real, actual, that. So it's not a verbal truth. It's a sense of something that stands by itself and doesn't have to be proved or debated. As true as the nose on your face. In fact, probably truer than that. You have opinions about the nose on your face. <laughs> so this is satya. It's just as it is. So when it's as it is, it isn't conceived, it isn't fabricated, it isn't proven, it isn't held as a dogma, it isn't convinced, it's just what it is. And in that, the mind stops, it's open, we call this peaceful, awakened, freed. That's truth, that's the value of it. It's not something you have to remember a set of codes in your head. It's very direct. It's the most direct experience there is. And most of the time we're shifting away from that into ought to, should, got to, must remember tomorrow, why was it like this, how can I, what's wrong with her? We're shifting away from that into that trembly realm. And the more you shift away into it, the tremble picks up, and we're into the world of thought and imagination and we begin to lose access to this simple here embodiment and in this experience this is the experience of the average person moving away from reality and perhaps thinking of ways they could get going in order to discover reality so no no you don't get going you, you get stopping <laughs> start stopping that's how you you know get your stopping together don't get you going together so but then there's a certain you know there's certain action replication is necessary for that and this is where it becomes a kind of a, a process of uh, voluntary conscious doing and also involuntary something happens by itself things shift by themselves when generally a certain voluntary inclination gives rise to something involuntary and it's involuntary is where the real stuff occurs things begin to shift by themselves and then we are truly oh and that you know we've, we've in a way cleared a path to to realization this is always a kind of tricky area how to how to do that but um one part of that is to really um, get embodied with what's uh, and to reveal what's actually pressing on you, what drives you, what pushes you, what compels you. Yeah? And often ideas, ideals, 
concerns about being good enough, getting it right, having to get it right, must have made it, you know, which are really theoretical. What was that? You know, what does that mean? <laughs> In real terms, it's just, it's just notions, isn't it? Right. Uh, getting it right, being good at something, what does that mean? What is right? It's a, it's a, it's a word. Are your thumbs right? Or wrong? <laughs> They're not either, it doesn't fit, does it? So are your actions right or wrong? How do you know that? Are you judging them according to some purely theoretical conviction? And what would that be? What would it be to get it get it right, looking in the, you know, that position? Try to imagine what it could be like. What, what would it be like? Swift, flawless, effective, prompt. Fantasies. But if you go into the emotional side of it, then you're getting closer because the emotions come from the body. And you get the emotion is what? Free from blame. Ah, that's a bit clearer, isn't it? Or free from guilt, free from regret, don't have to feel regret. Yes, indeed. That sounds because I know what that feels like. I know what regret feels like, that sinking in the guts. I know what guilt feels like, that shivery, cringing sense. I know what blame feels like, that, that sense. Oh yeah, that can, you can embody that. You can't, yeah? And you would don't want to have that. So do things to avoid that happening. Sounds like a good idea. But it doesn't happen through following the idea of getting it right because as soon as you you've got to keep doing the next thing get the next thing right and it doesn't actually because we're living in a world of ideas only and so what does it take to remove the feeling of inadequacy something wrong with me Hmm. something I'm not good enough at what does it really take to move that if you could move that everything would perhaps be just it's okay it's good enough well yeah I could have done better but never mind uh, uh-huh, that's wonderful we'd be just kind of muddling along in the ups and downs it'd be okay we could you know understand learn from the things weren't so good we could laugh at some of the mistakes we could help each other out no pressure no stress be free from the burden of having to get it right. I don't have to get it right because I'm prepared to to be a, a learner and to be someone who supports other people's learning. And yeah, that's fine. How else should we learn? So the most important thing is to understand what some of these driving messages really mean. In real terms, they come down to very simple things, embodied things. I don't want to have the feeling of guilt. I don't have the sense of 
fear. I don't want to feel rejected by others because I know what that feels like in my skin, in my belly, in my heart. That's, that's a real thing. And we've all experienced that. Some people experience it a lot. If you've experienced it a lot, it gets so difficult that, in fact, you go out of your body too uncomfortably and go into your head. You think a lot in order to get away from the where the emotions are embodied. You go into the world of thought, spinning frantically, making sure you try and get it right according to the list. Give me a list. Give me another list. Give me a manual. Yeah. And you still don't come out feeling comfortable because you haven't actually done what was needed which is actually entering the place of the felt experience staying with it feeling your body in that feeling the breathing the warmth fingers back feet the form space around ground beneath breathing stay with it Flustering, fluttering, tension, agitation, stay with it, just stay a little longer, widen. All that discomfort, stay with it. And at a certain point in that, the body will come through, like clear, begin to come out of that discharges it. That's what they do. Because the, in the, we're looking, to, we're actually entering into, when I talk about the body, we may very well assume, as you would do, I'm referring to this um, physicality, bones and meat and blood and sinews, and that's certainly part of it. But really, what you experience directly in your body is not that. You don't experience your toes, you experience sensation and you know, oh that's my foot. You experience pressures, you experience spaces, you experience surges, you experience warmth, you experience flushes, you experience... That's what the body's directly experience. And when you come to the wholeness of it, so you have a range of sensations and modalities, you come to the wholeness of it, what is the wholeness? Means that what is the consistency of that? Hmm? There's sensation here, there's energy, sensation, different sensations coming and always in change. You come to the whole thing the unifying, the quality of the wholeness is just the simple presence of energy. 
Now, by and large, again, your attention will tend to go to localized aspects of your body. Painful bit. So, a simple thing like the wholeness, something remembered. Because once you go to localized areas, you get, oh, this is intensely difficult, uncomfortable. You go, you get mesmerized by particular heightened qualities of feeling. And feeling is not the place that you want to stay in. I mean, that you can, you can acknowledge feeling, but feeling itself is a localizing experience. Something, this particular quality here feels pleasant, this feels unpleasant. When you go to the whole body, whole of it is neither pleasant, some it's pleasant, some it's unpleasant, some it's neutral, some of it can be quite agreeable to. The whole quality is just the ability to receive feeling, right? Particular qualities of feeling change, but the ability to feel, yeah, right? That's there, okay? Specific qualities of feeling change, tension, relaxation, that changes, but the propensity to feel, well, it's a constant, right? In embodiment. So what's that quality? It's just open. Because in order to feel pain, pleasure, neutral, it has to have no quality itself, but just openness. Right? It's like, you know, the room can have all kinds of different people in it because the room has just got space in it. It's neither a beautiful room nor an ugly room, it's just a room. Its quality is openness. You go to the whole thing, that's what its quality is, isn't it? You go to the whole felt experience of your body, sense experience of your body, the unifying quality of it is just open, sensitive. And it's really where the triggering occurs is around feeling. So certain feeling, you don't want that feeling. That feeling is really uncomfortable when you start mind agitated. The restricted feeling, the constricted feeling, the overheated feeling, the pressured feeling, the frozen feeling, all that. Don't want it. So it's triggering. Triggers into memories and perceptions so remember every perception that we have feeling welcomed, feeling unwelcomed will have a feeling with it that's the way it is if you don't have a feeling you don't experience it contact means perception and feeling you see someone right? you see something, you think of something you get a perception which means a kind of felt impression oh that's that, you get it when you get it, there's a feeling. It could be just, oh, I don't know. And a large amount of that is just subtly unpleasant. <laughs> like, oh, I've got to do this. That is an un- I've got to do that. Got to is unpleasant. If you just pause around that term, got to get it done, got to get it right, just hover around that perception. How's that feel? 
Is it something you really feel relaxed and warm and enjoyable? No. There's a certain stressing to it. That's an unpleasant feeling. And the way our minds are, we don't even really notice it because we're so focused on what we have to do, we don't even notice that it feels unpleasant or that, that, it, that it's significant that it feels unpleasant because a lot of the time we said, whether well, it's unpleasant or not, you've got to do it. So you just do it. Stop complaining, get on with it. Now, it's not about complaining, it's just about acknowledging that's an unpleasant feeling. It doesn't mean it shouldn't be there. Quite a few things are unpleasant. <laughs> when I figure it out, quite a lot of life is an <laughs> unpleasant feeling. It doesn't mean it shouldn't be there, it's a problem. It's just that's an unpleasant So, So we want to know is just to acknowledge. Okay, and then notice what unpleasant feeling will do if you're not aware of it as that. Here you tend to get localized, funneled, tunnel vision on that. Get this done, and the unpleasant feeling will finish. Although you don't think that, you get it done, then we'll have, then it'll be over. You don't think like that, of course. But emotionally, that's what you're looking for, and you don't really, probably don't even notice it. You've got a strange sense of compulsion and compulsion is really around only two things one is safety secure free from blame not be rejected able to be here safe okay the other is fed something warm and happy will happen to me either goodwill of others will come my way or affection or reward or something those things what human beings are triggered by right underneath all of it so a lot of the time what we're kind of doing is basically aiming to get free of the blame that will make me feel unsafe not welcome rejected unworthy definitely not in the main accepted welcome body yeah and so beneath all those kinds of programs to do and make and achieve and get and get it right and make sure it works for everyone there's this sense of what's the nagging push of that does it feel pleasant would you like to have more of this or less of it Oh, I'd like to have less of that. That's called unpleasant feeling. <laughs> That's why you don't nice to have a day off, wouldn't it? Why? Yeah. Why do we want to get it done? So we can get out of this unpleasant feeling to the place where oh it's been done. But of course it doesn't work. Because as you get and think, you think of the next thing you've got to do. Or you worry about whether you did it good enough. Because you're not in the territory that can give you real results. You're only in the territory of your own compulsive driven mind. With its, which has no way 
of finding a resolution. You can't find a resolution from the mindset that created the problem. The mindset that created the problem, it knows how to create the problem. It does not know how to create the solution. That's not its job. His job is to create a problem. <laughs> it's finely tuned for that. It's perfect every time. But finding solutions, relief, it does not have a clue about. So if you go to that thing and expect it to get you to a happy place, dream on. But please wake up in time to show up for your life. Hmm? So, sure, you know, we've all adopted those messages. You know, do this and you'll all be okay. Do this and you won't get blamed. Do this and you'll be seen as good, happy, welcome, wonderful, beautiful, fitting in, brief and being shouted at. We've all adopted those messages because, yeah, on a social level, there's a truth in them. And our place here, when we enter into the Aryan community, we're not we're stepping out of that. This is what it means to leave the world. Step out of that. It doesn't mean get off the planet. It means step out of that. That stuff. And of course, it takes quite a big stepping out because it means you have to really know how it's got under your skin, into your nerves, into your mindset and recognize there is a place out of that and it's actually you know in either language just metaphorical it's behind it it's beneath it it's within it <laughs> you know if you step beneath the surface of all that stuff hmm, you could say you embody it and you find when you enter the wholeness of your body there's this feeling, there's that feeling, there's this energy, there's this thing in my shoulder. But the whole thing, as it wants its whole quality, it feels, it's sensitive. It is self is an organ of extreme sensitivity. It's not just a lump of meat, it's not bones. It's an organ of perception, like the eye is, or the ear. And this one, the beauty of it is, in this one, there is a place where you can release the perceptions that are born of mind, born of social contact. It starts with entering the whole body. Even if your whole body feels like it's in panic, Okay, true, is that true? Just stay with that. Widen, include how that's happening in your wrists, your fingers, your palms, your eyeballs, and back, you know, come to the back of your head, shoulders, back. And actually the funny thing is, the more you include, rather than get away from it, the intensity starts to drop because in the wholeness you're not getting to localized effects 
and you notice these powerful energies localize us. Generally up around our eyes, in our faces, stomach tightens up, particular areas, generally feet, no problem. So when you come out of localization, there's a chance for that energy just to start to release, open. Not comfortable, but it's a little less intense. Stay with it. Well, let's be aware of the wholeness. What is aware of that wholeness? What is aware of sensitive sensitivity? Just aware of the, sen- of the whole sensitivity. Just aware of it. Mm, that's really peaceful. It's compassionate, it's open, it's receptive, accepts it all. Because its job is just to be aware. There's no rejection, doesn't do that. There's no should be, doesn't do that. There's no if you hadn't, doesn't do that. There's no you've got to make it another way, doesn't do that. It's just that. There is what we needed. And then this is how discharge can occur. So this body is really helpful to stay with because there's a process, wholeness, just coming out of the abstract into the felt experience, embodying the felt experience, going to the whole body, There's just that sensitivity with its rushes and senses. One is aware of the whole thing. And that can take several minutes, sometimes quite a while, to, to process, to, to move to. And then she's just like. So. There's no more story. Stillness. But this is a stillness, a non-doing, that's arrived at through a particular kind of, you could call it a doing, particular kind of process of acknowledging, receiving, holding, staying with. So this body is really our, I would suggest, is our workplace because it's both place that's extremely receptive sensitive it's also you can't act without a body although it seems like that because nowadays particularly we live in a tele-reality you know, a, lot of, a lot of action is kind of abstract. You just say something to a little piece of plastic in your hand. It does things for you. 
do need a body at all. Push it, maybe just the, one finger is all you need is to push it. Back. <laughs> the rest of it's just useless. You know, just shovel food into it, so that one finger, maybe a finger and a thumb. And that's it. You know. Eyes, particularly. So we have eyes, and a finger, and a thumb. Because we read a lot, so we read, we see words, eyes, words, don't need anything else. Mm-hmm. So you th- it's, it seems like you can act without a body. This again is because you don't really deepen into the energies that are occurring. Yeah. So I remember, uh, you know, a, a monk I knew whenever he he talk his eyes would really start flashing and we talk it's like his eyes would always seem to be bulging. You know, why do you need to do that with your eyes, you know? You don't speak with your eyes, do you? Why do your eyes have to do that when you talk? Do you know? It's just the way he was. And uh, the voice would get louder. You don't I, I'm not deaf, you know. <laughs> What's happening is that the wish to explain something, because it was generally not, not necessarily malevolent at all, the intensity of that energy was going to these particular areas in his body and magnifying them. Because whenever you intend to act, speak, energy comes, starts going to activation, doesn't it? Now that will occur in an embodied sense, because naturally, of course, if an animal, you can't do anything without a body, even a human being, you have some of it. But it will tend to go to the places which, you know, and for a contemporary person, what happens is a lot of that energy just goes into one or two places. It's very, and at most it's going to go into the head, the eyes, the mouth. Yeah, it's going to go up there. So we, all the energy rushes up here when we do things. Even though we're not doing it with this part of our body at all. Mm-hmm. I used to, um, years ago I used to do something called Alexander Technique. If you've ever done that, Alexander Technique is something this fellow called Alexander <laughs> presented and used to coach people in which is a way of getting back into their bodies as they moved around. So for example, uh, most people, when you sit in a chair, say, okay, can now stand up, they'll actually pull themselves up with their heads. And their eyes, okay. So you say, stand up in a hurry, and you realize a head has got no ability to stand up. It's, it's feet legs that do it but once you put an imperative energy rushes up into the head so you find standing up something you try to do with your eyes (laughs) your eyes cannot stand up (laughs) but that's where all the energy rushes because as soon as you put an imperative energy rushes into your head but the head is not an organ for standing 
So you can say, well, actually, just sit on the chair now. And they say, no. now I'm going to say stand up, but don't stand up. Just when, you, when I say stand up, just feel what happens. About and then just relax. Okay, now go in, stand up. You feel this rushing up there, and he says, just relax, sit down, don't do anything. Just feel just what happens. And next time, stand up, do that again, but now go into your legs and push with your legs. So you sit there first and stand up, pause, and then, okay, now, now. Next time I sit, now instead of just push with your legs, you push with your legs and you stand up. <laughs> Because that's what bodies do. <laughs> but there's no energy rushing into your head. And you start to learn how to operate the body in accordance with reality. That is, you walk with your legs, not with your eyes. You stand up with your body, not with your, you know, with your lower body, not with your head. And you're saying, actually, you do this, the amount of, of damage it doesn't get to a body done to a body is very significant. Backs don't get wrecked. Because when you bend, when you go to pick something up, you don't look at it with your head and grab it. You look at it and you lower your body with your legs and you go down to it, you pick it up and you stand up. Rather than eyes, brush, grab. So he invented this technique just for many reasons, one of them being to stop people having so much spinal damage. Because the head-driven body wrecks your spine, because it's always thrusted forward. So you get tension in your spine, your shoulders, and you lose your legs. So you know when you come round to changing where you come from when you when you act. You know, so you're going to go into the kitchen. You're going to chop some vegetables up. Don't think about getting it right, doing it right. Just think of just as, how does a hand pick a knife up? How does it feel? How to get it so that that feels as fully there in my arms, in my chest as possible. So really get your intentionality to manifest into relevant body rather than irrelevant and damaging thought processes. Because if you don't get it in your body, that's where it's going to go. If you don't get an intention going into your body, it's going to go into up into your head and it's going to go into all energizing once again these familiar distorted intentions over-efforting, over doubting, feeling you've got to work very hard, got to get it right, fearing the hostility of others, which isn't there. Defending yourself against the army who haven't showed up. Pushing against the door that's open. Another crazy stuff that ignorance makes us do. So practice, you know, in the, in the noble company is really as earthy as that. It's learning how to walk with your feet instead of with your got to do walking. It's learning how to sit with your body rather than 
or try and figure something out. It's learning how to um, discharge the distorted intentions, intentions and attitudes based upon ignorance and suffering with attitudes and intentions based upon direct reality, embodied reality. So we come to the um, end of a group gathering like this. It's always good to widen your group, to include friends, relatives, alive, dead, those in suffering, and those you respect. So all the range of it, from the ones you feel gratitude and respect for, to the ones you feel compassion and sorrow for, to the ones you feel difficult yeah, about. So widen your, widen your field and to all of it, open to all of it, may this be well, may my actions today share the goodness of my practice with all of this. Sadhu, sadhu,